We've reached a milestone. Should I say a kilometre stone? Doesn't make sense, really, does it? Well, it does. It just doesn't sound right. We are up to the first commandment in our series of the Ten Commandments. We have done nine. This is the last stretch. The end is in sight. Two more weeks and we'll know everything we need to know about the Ten Commandments. Possibly. And I love this one. It's, it's so simple. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 3, it says, You must not have any other God but me. Gee whiz, early coffee. <laughs> and if we want to look at it that way, this is the final, or if we actually did them in the right order, the first point in the Ten Commandments that describes the dogma of the Christian faith. Now you might notice there cleverly I've inserted a new word. Dogma. We don't actually talk about dogma a lot. But who knows what dogma is? Who's ever heard the term dogmatic? I know plenty of people who are quite dogmatic but have no idea about dogma. So what, what's dogma? Let's look at the Wikipedia definition of dogma. Dogma is a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. In other words, really true. <laughs> it serves as part of the primary basis of an ideology or belief system and it cannot be changed or discarded without affecting the very system's paradigm or the ideology itself. Quite a few big words in there. In other words, it's pretty important. And when we come to talking about the Christian faith, who knows that the Ten Commandments are pretty important. So what do you think? Are the Ten Commandments dogma? Based on that description I just gave. A show of hands for yes. Show of hands for people who don't want to put their hand up because what if they're wrong? <laughs> well, let's assume they are, shall we? Because I think that's a, that's a pretty fair bet. They form part of the truth of what we believe as Christian faith. The question we really need to ask is, are they just dogma? Who's prepared to gamble on that one? Who thinks no? The fact that I'm putting my hand up is a hint. <laughs> you see, all religions, all philosophies, all cultures, and even military and political systems have dogmas. They're a set of principles that are held to be true and they form the framework of that ideology. I mean, even you, you just take basic training in the army. They break down people's resistance by making them extremely tired and fatigued. Uh, well, fatigued is tired. Um, they, they stress them beyond their normal limits and then retrain them with a set of ideas and principles that make them suitable to serve in the army. When you go to different countries, you notice that their cultures often cause them to act differently than, say, you would based on the culture that you grew up in. And when you tell them that they're acting incorrectly, they get upset. 
and they tell you that you're acting incorrectly and you get upset. And that's how wars start. So this inevitably, of course, when we, we start talking about dogma, it brings us to the question of who is right? Especially when opposing ideologies clash. And this is where we run into the problem, I think, that Brendan talked about last week. And that we have all these ideologies, all these religions around the world. And the question we're always asking is, who's right? Why should we consider ourselves right and everybody else is wrong? And I think he covered the answer to that very nicely, so I'm not going to tell you again. You can ask me afterwards if you... Or no, actually, go on to SoundCloud and listen to Brendan's message from last week. But there has to be something more because if it comes to ideology, it's just a way of thinking. And I don't know about you, but I suspect that every single person here thinks differently to everybody else. And you almost all certainly think differently to me, which is sad, but <laughs> not much I can do about it. And so there's got to be a bit more than just ideology or dogma behind the Ten Commandments. Because even Christians can put dogma ahead of God. Why would they do that? We have a relationship with Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why would we forego that? Well, because who, who, who here is in a relationship at the moment? Who's discovered that relationships aren't always easy? Right? The rest of you will pray for afterwards as liars. Um, it's actually easier to follow a set of principles and rules than it is to have a, a, a vibrant, dynamic, ongoing relationship with someone. Because who knows that relationships change. But rules are safe because they don't. And if we have rules, we feel safe, enclosed in those rules. You know, we have a rule in Australia that you drive on the left-hand side of the road. And so when you go out into traffic, within reason, you feel safe driving on the left-hand side of the road. And if some idiot suddenly started driving down the right-hand side of the road, there would be a catastrophe. And occasionally, it happens. And it's disastrous because that's not, they're not following the rules. And we get angry with them because they're not following the rules. Justifiably angry. Rule breaker. When it comes to speeding, nobody cares. <laughs> Which is another sermon entirely. So, but there are, there are Christians who put dogma before, before God. And I've, I've classified five, five different sorts. And the first one is the creationist Christian. He's only ever read the book of Genesis. And, well, he might have read, he or she might have read some of the other books, but it, these people are fascinated with the, the creation story. They often go to creationist versus evolutionist type events. Uh, they believe in creation science, and they're, they're totally obsessed with how God created the world and the universe. And when you ask them about their relationship with Jesus Christ, often the response is, Who? And so they've put this whole idea of a particular part of God's universe into the forefront of their, their belief and left God out of it, or at least put him to one side. The second version is the second coming Christian. 
They've actually skipped right ahead to Revelation. And they are obsessed with prophecies throughout the Bible and how that's going to affect our future. They know to the second when Jesus is coming, even though Jesus said nobody's going to know. They have a, a good idea where, where the new earth is going to be, uh, how it's going to look, what the tribulation is going to be like. Um, and they follow speakers who talk about this all the time and live a life where they ignore other people because they're watching documentaries on the second coming all the time. So there are those sort of people who are obsessed with what the Bible says about our future. The third one is the doctrinal Christian who has got so into the doctrinal aspects of the Bible that they, they can't stand to be near somebody who's a Methodist if they're an Anglican or Catholics are right out and other religions that well, they are the scum of the earth because they don't follow this rule, this rule, this rule and because God says this, they didn't, what actually happened to Jesus died for mankind, not just your particular religious persuasion? And so they get very thingy about doctrine. Then there's the banner-waving Christian. They have God hates homosexuals, down with abortions, uh, gay rights for land whales, all sorts of different... <laughs> <laughs> haven't you ever seen that one? <laughs> okay, I, admit I haven't either, but... Um, but they have causes and they're prepared to get quite vicious against the people who are doing the wrong thing and, and I'm not saying that those people aren't doing the wrong thing but they lose their perspective on what Christ's message was to take up their own personal hobby horse usually because they have that instinct to take up a, a good cause and at the base of that there's actually nothing wrong with it then the course is the us versus them Christians and that, that's, that's a hard one because it's very easy, especially in today's climate. It's us versus the Muslims. You read every day about atrocities that are done by a group of people who can be put under a banner of Muslim. And we can be put under a banner of Christian. And when you get two people under banners, you've got an army, and they fight one another. And the, it gets to this... You know, our faith is being eroded and attacked by these brutal people who we have collectively gathered together and given a label. And if you give somebody a label, it's much easier to do harm to a label. You know, a, a, an angry mob. An angry mob is consisted, consists of people, some of whom may be angry, some of whom may be caught up in it, some of whom may have a, a different agenda to everybody else and are driving something. But if we lump them all together, then we can accuse them of just being an angry mob. They're irresponsible. We hate a lot of them. And there's a, a great danger in that because we're not actually called as Christians to deal with groups of people. We're called to do, deal with individuals. And we look at our country today and we look at the fact that uh, the tax laws are changing so that charities and churches in particular are not as favoured in the tax system anymore and that our, our ability to raise money or to, to stay financially viable is being eroded by the government. And it's all too easy to get up and say, see, the forces of the devil are working against the church and we need to rise up and assert our rightful place in society. No, Jesus didn't do that. Did you notice that? 
Jesus preached the good news of the gospel and when he was stoned, he ran away, said, let's not talk to them. Let's find somebody else to talk to because my mission is to spread the good news of the gospel. He didn't say, okay, we're, we're making a stand here. No more stone throwers. We're going to appeal to the governor and we're going to outlaw throwing stones at Christians. He didn't say that. All of the, the disciples met with fairly nasty ends because they were intent on spreading the good news of the gospel. They didn't protest against the unfairness of it. They were determined that no matter what the world threw at them, they were going to preach the good news of the gospel. That was it. And yet we complain when the world comes against us because we think we have a right but Jesus died and, for, and forsook all his rights. And he asked us to do the same. We are here to spread the good news in the, of the gospel, whether it's easy to do, whether it's hard to do, whether the government's helping us or the government isn't helping us, whether everybody in the community thinks it's a good idea or nobody in the community thinks it's a good idea. We are called to spread the news of Jesus Christ. Don't you hate that? Wouldn't you like it if it was easier? Wouldn't you like it if people weren't against the Ten Commandments? Because you sort of think, well, how could, you, how could you seriously not see that they're a good set of rules? It's good dogma, good doctrine, excellent ideas. Now, when it comes to looking at Christians who are like those five examples I gave, one thing I want you to understand, all of five of those viewpoints are valid within our faith and actually have a place in our faith. They're legitimate aspects of Christian faith, but they're not the pivotal glue that binds us all together. The Ten Commandments were given to us by God in a way that we must include God in those commandments. They weren't given to us, you notice, by a committee. There wasn't the committee on the Ten Good Ideas that Moses brought together on the top of the mountain there and said, let's talk to God about this and see if we can come up with something we can both agree on uh, with a bit of give and take, you know, because we've formed a union here. We've got a, we've got a planning committee. We're going to come up with the ten good ideas and present them to the people. We might even have a vote. They weren't given as a set of rules and principles to live by on their own. They're the principles God lives by. And if we want to live with God, we need to understand God himself and how he lives. Otherwise, we can't live with him. Interestingly enough, God put himself in the introduction of the Ten Commandments so that we couldn't forget him. We actually need to go one verse back because he introduced himself right at the top. And because we've gone backwards, you sort of think, well, isn't this at the end? No, no, the first commandment's actually at the top. But before we get, you must have no other God but me, verse 2 in chapter 20 says, I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. So God, first of all, introduces himself as God, the creator of all things. 
He then mentions the fact that he's the Lord. And the Lord, the Hebrew word for that is the one who reveals himself to mankind. So he hasn't just created the universe. He's not just an impersonal God. He is the God who has introduced himself to mankind. He then states that he is the God who is the rescuer or the redeemer of his people because he rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he also makes the point that he is our God, that we are connected, that he, his purpose for bringing us onto this earth wasn't just a random thing and he thought, well, you guys will do to serve. I'll make slaves out of you lot and make you obey me. He said, I am your God. You were created. We are connected because that was the whole purpose of this plan. I'm not just somebody else's God who adopted you. I am your God. You are my children. We are in this from the beginning. And so we get this introduction that not only is he God, the creator of every single thing, but he's God who's introduced himself to us. Hello, I'm God. You're, you, I want to get to know you better. This is who I am. By the way, I rescued you as well. Just thought I'd let you know. Um, and you know, we belong together. We are bonded together. And these commandments unmistakably, therefore, describe God's character. I mean, if I wanted to get to know Vicky, and uh, I discovered through talking to my friends that she was a nice girl. And so I thought, well, obviously the way to attract nice girls is to dishonor my parents, steal, cover up my neighbor's goods, murder someone, um, sort of go and worship idols somewhere, um, work seven days a week and, and show that I, I, I want to have sex with every other girl on the planet. That's the way I should attract her and, and form a good relationship. Who thinks that's going to work for me? No, probably not. And yet we wonder when we come before God, and that is God's character embodied in the Ten Commandments, why he would say, well, you know, if we're going to have a relationship, we've got to be on the same page. We've actually got to be understanding where we are coming from. And as I'm your God, it's actually more important you understand where I'm coming from rather than me sort of say, well, I can see where you're coming from. I'm gonna, I'll change my principles. You see, we learned about coveting, false testimony, stealing, adultery, murder, honoring our parents, having a day of rest, honoring the name of God and worshipping idols. Now, we could have, within reason, found a committee that could have come up with those and labelled them all as good common sense ideas. If, we went, if you want to get on with people, doing those things are, are good ideas. They are good dogma, good doctrine. But God made sure they were put in context by starting off the Ten Commandments by telling us who he was. So that we wouldn't ever make the mistake that the rules were more important than the rule bringer. That the principles were more important than the person who brought those principles into our lives. Because it's, it, it's way too easy to get to the Ten Commandments and think, wow, this is so clear. Ten points that I can measure other people by, and if they're not living by them, they're sinners. 
I won't have anything to do with them and I'll harangue them about their misdeeds and, and their naughty behaviour for the rest of my life because I've got some rules here. It's in black and white and they're wrong and I'm right. And I'm good and they're naughty. How attractive is that? I wouldn't want to be in a church where that's how people behaved. But if we're a people that say, hey, we know this guy, Jesus. He is really great to get to know. And he has the secrets of a successful life and a relationship built into his very bones. And if you get to know him, he will show you amazing stuff. He has secrets and principles to live by that will transform your life. But you can't just read the rules and say, okay, I can do that. He says, you've got to get to know him. The Ten Commandments are about knowing Jesus Christ. People aren't going to come into your life and say, wow, your life's really good. You know the Ten Commandments. Or, yeah, I admire you. You're really good at following the rules. I, w I, I want what you've got. I want to be a rule follower. Never had that happen to me. But I've had people say, there's something different about you. What is it? And I'll say, well, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And people say, wow, that has changed you. There is something. Can I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I say, sure, as long as you follow these rules. <laughs> no. Did Jesus ever say that? He didn't have them printed. Now, by the way, we got, we're going to go and we're going to spread the news, good news of the gospel. Here are the leaflets. Just go and find people. If they like the leaflets, get them to sign on the bottom that they're going to follow the rules and they're in. Just like that. No, he said, tell people that I am the God who saves. I am the God who has their life in my hands. I care more for them than their parents do, than their cousins do, than anybody, even that they themselves care for them. And I want the best for them. Once you tell them that, then invite them to have a relationship with me. Guess what? Once they get to know me, they'll want to be like me. And if you want to be like someone else, guess what? You tend to follow the things that, even in ridiculous things. Because I, I, was, I was brought up in England only for a very short time. But I must have learnt to speak a bit there, although I probably just followed my parents. And David, David knows this problem. We have this odd, odd way of saying want, where we say want. I want something. Which to me was perfectly normal. But Vicky thought I talked funny. And she pulled me up on it all the time. This is when we were teenagers. So we were going through all that hormonal stuff. And I used to get a bit grumpy about this. And I used to say very politely, will you stop telling me what to say? I might have thrown a few more words in and a bit of attitude. But that was basically it. But the thing is, and there were probably a few others as well, something to do with uh, knives and forks uh, and table etiquette, which we won't go into. Um, but because I wanted to hang around Vicky, I wanted to get to know her, 
I wanted to have a relationship with her. I realised that if this was important to her, then if you think about it, there was no skin off my nose to change. If I practised enough, I could say want instead of one. And now I can't say one. It sounds really odd. Because I can say want. Because I changed, not because it was really important. I mean, it's just, I mean, people pronounce things really differently. Um, there's, you know, people say something instead of something. People say mischievous, putting an extra I in when it's mischievous. There is no extra I in mischievous. It is not mischievous. <laughs> okay? And if you want to get to know me, then you'll say it properly. <laughs> you don't get off of the bus, you just get off the bus, and you don't get things for free. They are just free. You can get things for nothing, but you get things free. Of course, I'm fighting a losing battle on that one, so we'll, we'll forget about it. But you understand that the reason we change is because of the desire for a relationship. We didn't change because they were the rules. We actually desired a relationship, and that relationship with the person that we, we're engaging with changed our behaviour. And we became more like that. I became very much more like Vicky. I became fashion conscious. Um, yeah, okay, well, some things don't follow. But the point I want to make this morning is that the Ten Commandments are not a set of rules. They are a set of relationship guidelines. The first thing you've got to do, because the Ten Commandments are impossible to follow. Don't care how clever you are, how single-minded you are, they are impossible to follow. There's only one person on this earth who has ever followed the Ten Commandments correctly, and that is Jesus Christ. But, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the only person to have got the Ten Commandments right? Guess what? Some of it leaks out. We can actually, in deepening our relationship, come to grasp his mindset about these commandments and actually follow them quite easily because we're not using our own strength and our own power and our own understanding. We're using God's. And so the important thing when it comes to this whole year, if you like, of the Ten Commandments is to understand that although it's great to, to find out what the rules are, it's great to see how the principles work. It's important to see how... how we think about the commandments changes us and makes us different from other people. Sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a conflicting way. But the bottom line is it's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why God introduces him first because he introduces himself as the only person who can help us make a success of our lives by following these principles. And so that's the first thing we need to do. In fact, I wanna, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Because church is not about following the rules. Now, we, ha we have rules here. We don't like it when sort of people get up and yell and scream and spit in the middle of my message because it's, it's a bit rude. So we have a rule that, you know, wait till afterwards. But it's not the rule that defines us. And we have, we have a rule that the singers up on stage here sing in key. 
most of the time. But it's not the rule that defines us. What defines us is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that we do as a, as a, a group of people who worship our God is to make sure that we have a relationship with him. And so whether you've understood anything I've said of the Ten Commandments or not this morning, guess what? It's irrelevant. I didn't know anything about the Ten Commandments when I first came to church. I think I was about your age. In my 30s. And I got up, the only thing... I got about out of the first message I listened to was that money wasn't evil. And that was it. Didn't understand anything else that he was talking about. That, that one thing intrigued me because I'd grown up uh, as, a, uh, as an altar boy in a Catholic church and I'd got the impression somehow that money was evil. Now I'm not blaming the church for that but somehow nobody had disabused me of this notion. And so that was all it took. I, w I wanted to go back and see if he was going to say anything else interesting the next week. But what I saw going on, even though I didn't understand what was being said, but there was something in the people in this church that was different. They had a, a life, an excitement, an exuberance about them that couldn't have been caused just by going and discovering that money wasn't evil. So I thought, there's got to be something about this. And they kept inviting people to come and receive Jesus Christ. And I didn't understand that either. I thought, well, what's, what's, what's that? How can, is he in a parcel somewhere? It's like, you know, if you put your email address or something, does it, something get emailed to you and it, it's God in a box or something? And I, I discovered, I mean, I, I was pretty thick in those days. Um, I went for six weeks before I realised that there were people speaking in tongues. And only because Vicky said. She said, you know, this is one of those churches where they speak in tongues. I said, get out of town. <laughs> she said, no, you go and listen. And sure enough, they did. I thought, weird, I'm a member of a weird church. <laughs> I was excited by that. I thought, I wonder if I can be weird too. Yep, <laughs> here I am. Here I am. <laughs> But what I discovered was that people were actually having a living relationship with God. They were actually talking to, praying to, believing that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I thought, wow, that's the thing. It's not about the facts. It's not about the, the money is an evil thing. Well, that had me hooked for a long time. It's about a relationship with God. I never understood, even growing up, that it was about a relationship. And the relationship was so easy to get. All you've got to do is introduce yourself. Duh. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> Hi, Brendan. I'm Chris. How are you? We've got a relationship going here. The fact that he married my daughter is irrelevant. And the same works with Jesus. We just actually have to open ourselves to the possibility of a relationship with him and to invite him into our heart to have one. So I want to give you that opportunity this morning because it's a simple act if you believe that it is possible to have that relationship 
to actually speak with your mouth and say, Lord, I want that relationship with you. And I can lead you in a prayer that basically says, God, I acknowledge that you're my Lord, creator, that you're my, my God, rather, the creator, my Lord, interested in my life, that you're my saviour, and that you, you want a relationship with me. And that I turn away from what I had before and I accept you into my life. That's it. And that starts a relationship, just like an introduction with another person. So I want everyone just to close their eyes for a moment. And if you're here, and you've never thought about God like that, you've thought that he's just this guy all about the rules, that you go to a place, once you learn the rules, you're a Christian. And you look like all the other Christians and you do all the right things and that makes you good in the sight of God. Well, I'm here to tell you that, that that's not the case. It's a question of saying, okay, I'm going to tell God that I want a relationship with Him. And while nobody's looking around, if every eye is closed, if you're here this morning, if you, you've never prayed a prayer to invite God into your life, you've never thought of a personal relationship with God, I would love to pray that prayer with you this morning. If you want to pray that prayer with me, while nobody's looking around, if you just want to pop your hand up so that I can see it, I'll acknowledge that hand and we can pray that prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here who wants to do that this morning? You may have been in church before. You may be a regular attender. But you feel that your life has moved away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves, thank you, I see that hand. Sheep returning, I see that hand, thank you. He loves to see people come back and reform those relationships. Is there anybody else who wants to do that this morning? reaffirm that relationship with Jesus Christ okay can I get you to open your eyes and stand with me please I was thinking of getting you to do that in reverse but that could be awkward and I think it's good this morning if we actually all reaffirm with these two people our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want us all to pray together. So if you can repeat after me, Lord Jesus Christ, I reject my old life. I take on board a new relationship, a relationship with you, where you are my God, you are my Lord, and you are my Saviour. Lord, I want you to be in my life from this moment on. In Jesus' name. Amen.